turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get into the Word here a little bit. I believe it will bless you. I'm excited about what the Lord has been saying. We just finished up a teaching. Uh, we, we went into the four things that Jesus is doing in heaven, the, the importance of what his ministry is now in heaven. We understand that there's a ministry that his body is supposed to be carrying out in the earth. We're supposed to be teaching, preaching, and healing in his name. Amen. Amen. And uh, in heaven, he's there. And because he's in heaven for us, uh, that ministry has been released and given to us to carry out by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. And now he's changed and he's doing some things in heaven. Jesus, uh, this sounds strange, just hear it first. Jesus is no longer laying hands on people and healing them. We are laying hands on people in his name, in his place, and God is healing them. Jesus is no longer baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. We are praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he is baptizing them with the Holy Spirit by giving them the Holy Ghost, but he's using us, his body, using us, his church. He's not preaching any longer. You're not going to find him in Galilee on the shores. He's having us do that, amen? And so then we, we talked about the, uh, the four things that he's doing in heaven uh, for us. We know that, first of all, praise God, uh, he's gone before us as a high priest. Amen? Jesus is our high priest before the Father. We know that he's gone before us, and he's standing in the place as a mediator for the, the sinner, for the heathen. He's standing there uh, in place uh, for us as our intercessor. Amen? He's taking the things that we're saying. He's taking the things that we're asking God and declaring, and he's standing in place for us there. And then uh, lastly, uh, we, we talked about advocate. Jesus is our advocate. And then we moved from that teaching into uh, the things that the blood of Jesus says to us. So I'm excited about the things that the Lord has been bringing out and teaching uh, and ministering to us through the word of God. And so no different this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 7. And the word of God here says that uh, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how much more, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Paul's posing a question. He's bringing a contrast. He's saying, don't forget that when, when Moses came down from the mountain and received the first covenant, when he received the law from God, that his face was so, so glowing with the presence of God, his, the glory of that covenant, the glory of that law being given was so, so strong, so tangible, that they literally saw the face of Moses shining. How much more glorious will the ministration or the, the ministry of the Spirit be in glory? He says in verse 9, For the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels. Paul, again, is talking about the ministry of the new covenant versus the ministry of the old covenant. He's giving us a parallel or a contrast to show us 
we look at the glory of that former covenant, the first covenant, whose glory he said was passing away. And in comparison, it's like it didn't even have any glory because of the, the anointing, the power, the ability, the authority of the new covenant. It so excels it that it's almost as if the first didn't even exist. For what is passing away, verse 11, was glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is only taken away in Christ. The veil is only taken away in Christ. Still to this day, if you haven't been born again, still to this day there are people who are reading the law, reading the Old Testament, reading the first covenant, and still to this day there's a veil that's separating humanity from the presence of God, separating humanity from the glory of God. And Paul says the only way you can get that veil out of the way, the only thing you can get that separation um, removed is to bring somebody into Jesus Christ, to get them into the new covenant, to get them into the new relationship that God has, to get them into the kingdom, to get them into the family. The only way you can penetrate through and the only way you can break through is to get them into Christ. Amen. The veil is still there in their minds. They're blinded. It's still there in, in the reading of the Old Testament. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, with unveiled face, again, a contrast, Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. In other words, we look at ourselves, and when we're looking at ourselves, we're, as we're looking in a mirror, seeing the glory of God reflecting back to us. Why? Not because of anything we've done, but because we have received Jesus Christ, and we're walking in, experiencing, amen, a new testament, a new covenant. And we have to treat the, the word of God we have to treat the ministry of the Word of God. We have to treat the, the New Testament as the book of the New Covenant. We see where Moses is standing before the people. And you've heard me say this to you before. But before Moses read the book of law to the children of Israel, he sprinkled the blood on the people. And he sprinkled blood on the book. And the Bible says that there was such a respect for the, the law. There was such a reverence, such, a, such a, a, a heart to receive the word of the Lord. The children of Israel, when Moses came to them, God said, bring everybody up here and let's talk. And the children of Israel said, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in doing that. The Bible says a great fear, reverence, fell upon them, and that they felt as if they were going to die, one translation says. They were so afraid, not like boo, again, scared, but, oh, my God, God is so holy and I'm so not, that they, were, they thought that they were going to die by approaching this mountain where God was. So they sent Moses and some other people up for them on their behalf, and they said, you come back and you say to us, what it is that God has told you to say to us. 
it's important that we get a point here and we see this picture. There's a respect for the word of God. There's been a loss of respect for the ministry. There's been a loss of respect for the preacher. Preachers are human. They wear pants and they put them on one leg at a time. They get out of bed, uh, sometimes on the wrong side of the bed, just like anybody else. But there has to be a respect and a regard for the office. There has to be a respect and a regard for the man or woman that holds that office to be able to receive from the Lord what it is that God is saying to the people. They said to Moses, we trust you. We don't want to go ourselves. We trust you. We need you to go and hear from God and come back and communicate to us what God has said to you. And so once we get that in place, once we get a reverence back for the word of God, and once we get a reverence back for the ministry, not the minister, but the ministry, it's the same thing of the office of the president. If you look at a president and you look at the guy, you might say, you know, I don't particularly respect that guy. I don't particularly care for that guy. But still the office demands our respect. And there may be some things about me, I can't even imagine how that would be possible, but there may be some things about me that just you don't particularly care for, and that's fine. It's okay. There are things about you I don't particularly care for. We're humans, right? But there's still, there's the, there's the office that, that gives respect. Here's the problem. Once we move into hearing from a man or a woman of God, we have to be careful not to fall into a trap where we don't hear from God anymore. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They so respected the word and so respected Moses that they said, I don't want to talk to God. I'm not interested in speaking to God. I'm not interested in, in, in having a relationship with God. And I'm not interested in hearing what God wants to say to me. You go for me. You hear for me. You listen for me. And you come back and speak for me. And if we're not careful... I believe this. I believe that most of the time, not all the time, but I believe that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time people are disappointed in church because they're asking too much of church. They're asking church maybe to do something that church can't do for them. They're asking church to fix something that it's not the church's responsibility to fix. Not all the time, but most of the time. Because we want to go to church not all of us, not even maybe some of us, just other people. We've heard about these folks. They, we want to go to church. We want to hear a little message. We want to hear the man speak. We want to have it work. And if it doesn't work, then it's all on the man speaking and not any responsibility on us. We haven't gone to God throughout the week. We haven't gone to God on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or even Sunday and said, hey, I'm here to speak with you face to face. I'm here to fellowship with you face to face. I want to have a relationship with you face to face and I want to hear from you directly. And then I want to hear what the man or woman of God is saying and make sure that what I'm hearing from you is lining up with what the Bible says we've cut out an individual responsibility of relationship and we're trying to have a relationship with God through the man of God. Listen, I've made the point that I made first on purpose. We have to hear from the man or the woman. We have to receive from the man or woman. We have to have respect for the man or woman of God that's speaking according to the word and the will of God. But it cannot be the only time we go to God.
It cannot be the only time we're in the Bible. It cannot be the only time we're in the presence of God. It cannot be the only time that we're in prayer. And if it is, then we're going to miss out on the glory that God has built into the new covenant. Because what God has done in the new covenant is he's removed us from the priesthood, having a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He's moved us out of the sacrificial system so we don't have to go through any other way except for through the door that is his flesh. He's given us a whole new book, a whole new set of rules, a whole new way to live. And he said, now the responsibility is on you. You come to me and experience for yourself. I hope I'm preaching good experience for yourself your own relationship with me and receive directly from me the glory that I have built in to this new covenant. Don't let a veil come over your face. Don't let anything separate you. Come after me, chase after me, hunger after me, thirst for me, seek me with all your heart and you'll find me because I'll never be far from you. Paul said, grope after him. That word grope literally means feel after in the dark. And Paul says in the King James, it says, if happily we may find him. We're supposed to seek him out, search him out, desire for him, even as if we were feeling in the dark, if happily we may find him. Why? Because there's a glory that's built into this new covenant. It's being in Christ. It's changed everything. Can someone say amen? It's changed everything forever period. And we cannot allow in our own selves that veil to come over our eyes and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to reflect as looking in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We have to understand that as we're worshiping the Lord and as we're spending time with him and spending time with one another and serving God and serving the, the, the brethren and serving the needy, that we're walking in a different covenant that he's provided for us, amen? It's not likened unto the first covenant, it's different. I don't have to have somebody go before me and do all the, the term is sacradoodle, all the things that would be the minister uh, of the sanctuary. I don't have to have that happen because I had Jesus, the greatest high priest that's ever lived, a high priest forever, amen, according to the order of Melchizedek. He's done it for me, Amen. So he's made it so open and so possible for anyone who'd call upon his name, anyone who would receive what he has done for them to be able to have relationship and fellowship with God, he's opened up the door. He's made it possible. And that's the, that's the glory that he's talking about, Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3. That's the glory of the new covenant in comparison to the old. Because in the old, we needed somebody to go for us constantly, multiple times a year. We weren't able to go into the presence of the Lord. But not only has he gone before us one time for all, Hebrews says, but he's tore that veil from top to bottom open, and the presence of God has been released into the world, amen, by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to make sure. We have to make sure. I'll repeat what I said earlier because I feel like it bears repeating. Christians sometimes come to church and leave disappointed because they're asking church to do for them something that church is not built to do. Your, your last breath, your last hope, your whim in a prayer as a Christian is not supposed to be the church. 
we have to go to a place where individually we're practicing the presence of the Lord. Individually we're practicing those things that have been given to us as a result of being in relationship with God through Christ. Everything has changed. And sometimes we have a hard day or a hard week or a hard month and we come in and it's just getting here is enough. And I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a pattern. We should be fellowshipping with the Lord, fellowshipping with him by his word, through his spirit, and in worship throughout the week. Amen? So that way when we come here, we're not in such a desperate situation. Remember, church is for the Christians. Sometimes people forget that. Church is for Christians. We receive instruction from God in church to be able to go out and help people who are not Christians. If someone should come in the door who does not know Jesus Christ, then we present him as Savior and Lord, as healer, as baptizer in the Holy Ghost, as soon coming king, and give them an opportunity to meet him. But cut and dried, the point of church is that the body comes together and fellowships together in the presence of the Lord and receives from the Lord instruction, correction, direction to be able to go and help the people who are not Christians. Yeah, it, it, we've missed it. We think that church is for... I don't have time to get into all the things that we think the church is for. So we go out and we do the work of evangelists because we've been ministered to in the sanctuary. We've presented God his tithe. We've given him worship. We've given him our offering. We've broke bread and fellowshiped with him. We've heard the word of God. We've received instruction. We've received these impartations. We've had understanding come to us and then we go out and we do something with it and we come back but if we're only spending time with God on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night if we're only walking in relationship with him then to some degree it's almost like we're putting a veil over our own face we're covering up those things that have been made available to us Paul says that we behold his glory, the glory of the new covenant, like we're looking in the mirror. It's reflecting back to us. We see the presence of the Lord. We see the peace of God. We see the strength of God. We see the spirit of God. We see the relationship that he's made for us, and it's reflecting back to us when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And if we try to drag ourselves back and say, well, you know, there are some, there are some denominations that don't encourage Bible reading. And that's not, a, that's not an opinionated statement. That's a known fact. It's not my job to name all the things that I know, but that is an absolute fact that there are Christian denominations that do not encourage Bible reading for the people. Paul, in the New Testament, said that we should study to show ourselves approved, a workman unto God who has no need to being ashamed, being able to rightly divide the word of tr truth. Peter says that we should seek after and hunger after the word of God like a newborn baby would crave spiritual milk. 
We would hunger after the word. We would go after the word. Paul said that we should desire after the word and chase after the word. In the Old Testament, Joshua said, do not let this book of the law depart from your eyes, your mouth, or your heart. In the Old Testament, the writer in Proverbs says, keep these commandments and these words and these sayings before your eyes and in your ears and in your mouth constantly. And yet we have denominations that discourage a daily devotion time with the Lord. And I believe this with all my heart. I'm not judging anybody. I'm saying we're pulling people back into, you got to have somebody do it for you. You got to have someone go before you. You got to have someone help you. And Part of that wonderful redemptive work is that Jesus has made the way. He has become my high priest. He's become my high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he's gone before me one time and it's good forever. And I never have to ever have to wait on somebody to go before me again. Amen. And my whole point this morning, hopefully, is this making sense? Is this helpful? My whole point this morning isn't to point a finger and say, well, you're just not doing it good enough and you're just not doing it long enough and you're just not doing it hard enough. That's not my heart. That's not the point. My point is to open up things to you and help you see the things that have been made available to you and to me and to anybody who's coming to Jesus Christ and encourage you and hope that someday you'll be there to encourage me. Gain the benefit of what God has given you. Don't, don't refuse, neglect, or reject the benefit of what God has given you. I thank God every day that he's given me his word. I thank God every day that he's given me his spirit. I thank God every day that he's given me his blood. I thank God every day that his presence is available to me and that I can fellowship with him and have a relationship with him and I can walk in a whole new way of being and a whole new way of living, Amen a whole new way of walking in relationship with him. Turn to 1 John real quick. Praise the Lord. We're going to begin reading 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is familiar to you, but this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with God. We have relationship with God. We have opportunity to be able to work with God. We have opportunity to be able to speak with God. We have opportunity to be able to worship God. We have opportunity to be able to live in relationship with him. Back up to verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that, we, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. One of the greatest concerns I have, and I believe it's, it bears out in the Apostle Paul's life, even though Paul didn't write this verse, you cannot argue that he didn't have revelation of this, understanding of this. And I think one of the, the dangers of people trying to pull us into a former relationship with God is that it shuts up heaven to the average person. 
it stops the relationship and it stops the fellowship. See, the book of the first covenant was sprinkled with blood. And the book of the new covenant was given by the shedding of blood. The words that Jesus spoke and continues to speak by the Holy Spirit, he's given us a new operator's manual to live in a new covenant. If you were to, if you were to be able to travel back in time like they do on Superbook, if you were able to go back in time with Gizmo and, and learn that way, you could walk up to David and talk to David about how you have fellowship with God and he would scratch his head and not understand what you were talking about at all. Wouldn't even get it. David seems to be, you know, our favorite, but you could walk up to Samuel who prophesied David would be the king, who prophesied that Saul would not be the king, who prophesied some fantastic things about Jesus coming to earth. And you could walk up to him someone who heard from God and you could talk to him about fellowship and he'd probably run his hands through his beard or scratch it. He wouldn't get it. He would have no understanding about what you're talking about. Noah moved with godly fear to preserve and save his family, built an ark for over a hundred years and if you talk to him about fellowship, no comprehension of the word. Why? Because God was not available to them. He wasn't available. This is my point about the Apostle Paul. God was not available to them like he's available to us. His presence and the spirit were not indwelling people. His presence was blocked off between a veil. The Bible tells us how large this veil is, that it took men, several men, to hang the curtain and separate that presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, from the people who were not the priesthood. Several men, this is not just this not tiny little curtain. They were blocked off and removed from the presence of the Lord. And you and I, in the New Testament, have this opportunity. You pick your favorite one. You pick, you pick whoever you want, Joshua or Daniel or Jonah or, or Noah or whomever it is that you think, man, that person certainly walked with God. The closest thing we have to it is Moses, but he still didn't understand fellowship. The Bible says that he talked to God face to face like a man would his friend. But when you come into a relationship and move beyond relationship and have fellowship, there's a difference. And Moses wouldn't even understand what you and I have today. So the error, I think, or the, the thing that concerns me more isn't that people would practice the law or the feast or the festivals or the moon or the harvest. or The, the, the thing that scares me the most is it puts me back into a place where I can't practice his presence every day. It puts me back into a place where I don't have a fellowship with him any longer. And it puts me back into a place where everything has to be done for me instead of me being able to go freely anytime I want to. Do you see the, the, the separation line or the dividing line there? And fellowship that we have, we have with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. They knew who God was. Some of them had a relationship 
with God. But God would get frustrated with them. Abraham, he would get frustrated with them. Moses, he, would get, he got so frustrated with Abraham, he changed his name and said, I am done dealing with you. I'm going to change your name. Your name is now changed. It's no longer Abram, it's Abraham. And every time someone calls you to come over and watch the Super Bowl, they're telling you, come on over, Father of many nations, because you just won't listen to me. Fellowship is walking in a relationship that is ex exceeding just normal relationship where there's a, a oneness in the spirit, a oneness of heart, a oneness of mind. It, it goes on besides just, oh yeah, this is my friend, but this is a bond that we have with God and we, a bond that we have with Jesus Christ that if you were to talk to them about this, they'd have no comprehension of it whatsoever. And the Bible says, and truly, verse 3, 1 John 1, verse 3, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things, verse 4, we write to you that your joy would be full. These men walked with God. They knew who God was, but it wasn't to the degree that you and I do. Because before Jesus died on the cross, God could not live on the inside of anybody. So the, the greatest concern I have, and the greatest concern I believe that you should have, when someone's trying to dra drag you back, I don't care if you put on a little garb and you do a little thing. It doesn't even matter to me, do it, whatever. But don't take me out of fellowship with God. Don't take me away from his presence. Don't remove me from him indwelling me. Don't remove me from the place where he's living in me, amen? Because that's the glory of the new covenant. And he's given us this word, the New Testament primarily, for us to understand what he's doing, what he's about, and how he's doing it, amen? People have said for years, and it's truth, the Old Testament has the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. From the very beginning in the garden where God pronounced a curse on Satan, he said, this woman's seed is going to crush your head. Your head is going to bruise his heel. And from the garden, all the way through human history, until his birth, everybody was saying, he's coming, he's coming. There's a savior coming, there's a redeemer coming, there's a messiah, he's coming, he's gonna come, he's coming. And then he was born. And then the angels, first thing they said about Jesus, and the, the first thing that was said about Jesus was, the one who was born to take away the sins of the world has come. And John the Baptist said, there he is, the Lamb of God. From that point on, from the fact of the time that he was born until the time that he died, everybody's saying, he's here. The Messiah's here. The King's here. The Savior's here. The Deliverer's here. The Redeemer's here. This man, Jesus, he changed some things, amen? And now after Jesus, the very first thing that was said from heaven in Acts chapter one, the very first thing 
said after Jesus was saying these things to him, and it says that a cloud received him out of their sight, and the very next thing that was said is two angels stood there and said, he's coming again. He's coming again. See, Jesus is going to come again. We know that. We believe that. All throughout human history, God has said, there's one coming, there's one coming. He's going to come, he's coming, he's coming. When he was born, everybody and their mother said, he's here, here he is, he's here. The Savior's here, <laughs> the King's here, the Messiah's here. And then the angels, the first thing they said when Jesus went into heaven is, he's coming again. He's going to come again. The last words in the book, the very last words in the book say, behold, my coming is soon. Behold, I come quickly. He's going to come again. The point here is that we live our lives to help, bless you, we live our lives to help people be ready for when he comes again. But we can't be so consumed with anything or everything else that we don't exercise why he came in the first place. The Old Testament has the New Testament concealed. But the Old Testament is revealed by the New Testament. All of those people that spoke and all of those people that prophesied and all of those people that declared, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Well, guess what? He came. And now it's time for us, you and for me especially, to know why it is that he came and to do something with it. We don't want to skip the part that he's coming into, he's coming again. We want to live right there in that time, in that little window, that while we wait for his coming, we exercise why he came in the first place. He was presented, he was made manifest, he was brought into the earth to put away sin, to put away the effects of the sin, to absolutely draw a dividing line for humanity and say everything that happened before me doesn't matter anymore. I've changed it all. In fact, the Bible tells us, just thinking, Jesus said, not only did he give us a new law, a new book, a new covenant, but he, he, he made it easy for us and said, it's too difficult for you to remember 663 laws. So a new law I give to you. You know, Galatians says that we should bear up one another's burdens, and in doing so, while we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? He didn't say keep the Ten Commandments. He said if you do this, you'll keep all the law and the prophets. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Easy. He gave me a new law, gave me a new covenant, gave me a new book, gave me the Holy Ghost, gave me fellowship, changed everything. We have to live our lives taking advantage of what he's made available to us. We have to live our lives receiving, extracting the benefits of what God has done. He didn't, I know this boggles our mind. You remember me talking about his immediate need and his ultimate goal the immediate need is he had to bring salvation to humanity the ultimate goal was that he would duplicate himself in his church the the ultimate goal is that he would have men and women boys and girls 
Christians filled with his spirit, filled with his word, filled with his power, and going and doing the things that he wants us to do. The immediate need was he had to get us saved. But the ultimate goal isn't just we sit around saved. Are you here? I thank God for salvation. You'll probably never meet a preacher who's more thankful for salvation. But I thank God for the things that salvation has given me. I thank God for the abilities and the equipping and the grace that salvation has brought to me. And I, I don't want to just sit on the sidelines saying, look at me, I'm saved, and wait until that day when he comes again. I want to do something with what he's given me, amen? And I know you do too. It starts with, don't, let, don't put a veil over your own eyes when you're reading. Don't, don't, don't treat the Old Testament, don't treat the New Testament the same. It's all the word of God, yes. But there are some things that apply to you only, like fellowship, where others wouldn't even understand, wouldn't even, they couldn't even comprehend it. Amen? Walk in the benefit, extract the benefit of what God has done for us and for the world in Christ. Receive his love, receive his grace, receive his mercy. Amen? And walk in relationship.